you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open to two places in Scripture. The first one is second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. And then the second one is the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. There it is. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, both of these passages of Scripture are separated by a thousand years of time. A thousand years has transpired between the events of 1 Samuel chapter 2 and the events of the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. One thousand years. And yet, if you study these two passages of Scripture, it is amazing the number of similarities that you'll find in these two passages. Separated by a thousand years, but it's almost, it almost looks like they were written by the same person. So many similarities. For instance, uh, the second Samuel passage deals with an event that takes place in Jerusalem at the temple. The Luke passage deals with an event that is in Jerusalem at the temple. Both passages. Second, the, uh, both passages deal with the childhood events of, pro of prophets. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 deals with, with an event in the childhood of the prophet Samuel in the temple. Luke chapter 2 deals with an event in the childhood of the prophet Jesus in the temple. Yes, Jesus was a prophet. In fact, in Deuteronomy God told Moses, he says, there will come a day when I will raise up a prophet like you. He's talking about the Lord. The second Samuel deals with the childhood event of a prophet. Luke chapter 2 deals with the childhood event of a prophet. Both scriptures describe the mother, a, a mother of that child prophet who, who goes to Jerusalem annually during the sacrifice. That would be during Passover. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it's Hannah going to the temple at the annual sacrifice to see her son Samuel. Samuel is living at the temple. In Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph every year at Passover go from Nazareth down to Jerusalem to the temple for Passover. Both passages deal with that. Number four, both, both scripture passages deal with... Uh, with mothers who offer praise. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 2, after Hannah goes to the, to the temple, the next chapter has her singing a song of praise. My soul rejoices in the Lord, she says. Luke chapter 2, a thousand years later, Mary offers a word of praise to the Lord. My soul doth magnify the Lord, she says. It's almost like Luke Luke has Mary borrowing from Hannah's speech, her poem in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And both of the passages conclude with a summary statement that says that the child grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature and in favor with God and with man. That's what 2 Samuel concludes. 1 Samuel chapter 2 concludes about Samuel, and it's what Luke chapter 2 concludes about Jesus. The child grew in wisdom and knowledge 
and in favor with God and with men. It is that last summary statement about these two that I want to camp out on this morning. Samuel grew in favor with God and with people. Jesus grew in favor with God and with people. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning with verse 18, reading down through verse 20, and then skipping to verse 26. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli, the priest, would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. Verse 26, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. You see that? Now skip over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're moving a thousand years into the future from the perspective of Samuel. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Well, why were you searching for me? He asked. Don't you know, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Here it is. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how rich it is, for how deep it is, for how high your word is and how broad it is. Thank you for how personal it is and how practical it is thank you because your word introduces us to the living word Jesus Christ now, Lord help us not only today not only this week but for the rest of our lives help us to look at what Jesus did what he said how he lived what he taught and help us to emulate Jesus I pray in Jesus name Amen. Those of you who are old enough, do you remember the time when anybody who drove by your house, whether they were riding a bike or in an automobile, or anybody who walked by your house, threw up their hand? Do you remember those days? 
most all of you know that I grew up uh, up in Forsyth County uh, on the north side of town, on the, uh, north of the equator. The equator is I-20. Some folks think it goes through South America. It's wrong. It's uh, I-20. And I grew up on north of the equator in Forsyth County. County seat is coming. In the 1960s, when I grew up, Forsyth County had 12,000 people in it. Uh, by contrast, there are 160,000 up there now. The city of Cumming had about six or 700 people in it at that time, and we only had four traffic lights in the entire county, and they were, they were situated on the corner of the square in Cumming. Outside of that, there were no traffic lights in the entire county. And uh, for a while, I lived on uh, Piney Grove Road. That's the road that, uh, that I grew up on. Uh, for a while, it was dirt, a dirt road. And then I remember they paved it with uh, what I call county pavement. There's a difference between county pavement and state pavement. And then there's a further difference between state pavement and federal pavement. But, uh, but I remember when it went from dirt to county pavement. County pavement doesn't last long. I think it has maybe a three-month warranty on it or something like that. And I remember people would drive by and we'd be out in the yard. It didn't matter who it was. They'd throw up a hand. The old-timers up there had a phrase for it. They'd say, throw up your hand and speak. I mean, you're not really saying anything with your voice, but when you'd go by, you'd throw up your hand and speak. And uh, folks would go by, and if they didn't do it first, you'd do it. You'd be, I, I remember my dad be riding on his Kubota tractor, and he'd be cutting his grass, and uh, they'd ride by, and he'd throw up his hand and speak, and then they'd throw up their hand and speak. Some folks would roll down their window, throw up their hand and speak. I remember... Uh, First job I had was working on a farm with my uh, uncle Monty, my aunt's husband. He uh, he raised chickens. He cleaned out chicken houses. He uh, would spread his chicken manure on his hay fields, and he would he would grow hay. And we would cut, rake, and bale the hay, and then we would stack it, and then we would deliver the hay. It was a, it was a multifaceted farming operation. And there were times when I got to drive the manure spreading truck. I know that doesn't sound. Uh, exciting, but really it was to me. Uh, riding that, uh, driving that uh, manure spreader truck, I was a truck driver. And truck drivers have a language all their own when they meet each other on the road. Now they, they, they'll throw up their hand and speak, but they do it in, in a funny way. They'll be driving, they've got these big old steering wheels, you know, and, and, and they got both hands on the steering wheel, and when you meet a truck driver, the truck driver doesn't just go like that. That's the way everybody else would throw up their hands. He'd go like this. He'd go. That's the way country truck drivers did. I'm telling you. So I'd be driving that manure spreader, and I'd meet a truck. It didn't matter what size truck it was. Usually it was a bigger truck than what I was driving. And uh, I'd just go like that right there. And uh, one day there was a fellow who was riding with me. His name was Bill Fagan, very good friend of mine. Uh, he's a year younger than me. We were, we were both working in the summer, and, and, and I was going down Browns Bridge Road between Cumming and Gainesville, met a truck, and I just, like that right there, and Bill looked over at me, and he says, he says, you think you're a truck driver, don't you? I said, yeah, I'm one of them. I'm one of them today. I really am. Throw up your hand and speak. I remember the time, though, when it happened. Maybe you remember it. I remember approximately the time when things changed. And it got to be that more and more and more when you would meet somebody going down the road, they wouldn't 
throw up their hand and speak. Now, still occasionally people would, but I think it happened somewhere around 1974, I think. Thereabout. Might have been a year or two earlier or later, but right around 1974, right about that time, up until now, more and more and more, you have fewer people who, when you meet them going down the road, will throw up their hand and speak. And let me tell you, uh, truck drivers, that language has, has already gone. I mean, I think maybe instead of the, it's gone to the horn maybe. I don't know. Maybe it has. I don't know. Or maybe nothing. But people have stopped doing that. We have become less and less a social people. Am I telling the truth? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that fewer and fewer people? How many of you remember the time when people used to throw up their hand and speak? Raise your hand. How many? Okay. How many of you believe that, that uh, over the past 20, 30 years that that has become less and less and less the case? Raise your hand if you believe that. What about that? What's, what's the deal with that? I mean, it used to be. I remember growing up, number one, in, in a county of 12,000, everybody knew everybody else. And so you're going to throw up your hand because you knew people. But even when new people started moving in to the area, you'd throw up your hand and speak. I, I, I can remember being out in the yard and, and somebody would drive by who just bought a house out in Jake Gant subdivision. Somebody knew in the area and they would drive by. And I didn't know them, but we'd throw up our hand and speak. And usually they'd look at us kind of funny. You know, at least they'd, they'd throw up a hand and speak, even if it didn't mean exactly what we were thinking. But, but then what started happening was people would drive by, new people in the area, and you'd throw up your hand and speak, and they wouldn't throw up their hand and speak. And it's, and it's kind of insulting. Yeah, has that ever happened to you? You throw up your hand and speak, and they don't speak back. Has that ever happened to you? If it has, raise your hand. What about that? Did you feel a little odd about that? How many of you felt good about it? Raise your hand. Nobody. Feels a little odd. What has happened to the ability to be social? What has happened to the ability to be friendly? Did you know that Jesus was social? He was a very social person. And, and now, as soon as I say that, some people are going to say, well, preacher, I know where you're going. What you're going to ask me to do is to be a social person, and I am, by nature, not a social person. I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. Actually, I think Jesus was an introvert. Uh, I mean, how many times do we find him? He's with a crowd, and he steals away, and he goes by himself. It happens a good bit in the Gospels. He'll go by himself. Sometimes he'll go up in a mountain, and he spends time alone with God. Sometimes he prays. Sometimes he just gets alone because he's tired, and he needs to rest. I believe Jesus was an introvert. But there were times when he overcame his introversion and became extroverted he became very social and it happened it started happening at an early age Luke describes an event and he's the only gospel writer in fact he's the only writer in the entire Bible who describes a childhood event of Jesus that has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus the only glimpse the only Polaroid picture we have of Jesus as a a young person aside from birth is found in Luke chapter 2 and it's when he's 12 years old Joseph and Mary as they do every year at Passover it's a tradition it's a custom they travel to Jerusalem from Nazareth 
for the sacrifices in the temple, and then they go back home. They go there, and, and they trust Jesus. He's 12 years old. 12 years old is considered an adult in, in ancient Jewish culture. It's when you had your bar mitzvah, which celebrated your adulthood. And so they're not watching him every time. They, they, they don't give him a, a, one of the Longhorn Steakhouse a pagers. So, you know, when we page you, you come back. They didn't do that. They trusted him. They got time to leave, and they said, well, you know, Jesus is with us. He always is. We've done this for the last 12 years. He's always been with us. And they head back. They have been gone a day. They're a day's journey out from Jerusalem when they start going around and, and uh, looking, and Mary says to Joseph, you know, I haven't seen Jesus in a day or two. And Joseph said, well, I thought he was with you. And Mary says, well, I thought he was with you. And they go check around with one of the aunts and uncles. Well, we thought he was with you all. We haven't seen him. Where is he? And they can't find him. And they turn around and they go back the day's journey. Now, keep in mind now, they've been one day's journey out of Jerusalem. They turn around and they go back a day's journey to Jerusalem. So it's been two days. Once they get to Jerusalem, they look for him for three days. He's been missing almost a week now. I mean, I would imagine that Joseph is almost to the point of calling the police or whatever the equivalent was of that day. He's been missing five days when all of a sudden somebody says, you know, I thought I, thought I saw him a couple of days ago in the temple. Well, what was he doing there? He was talking with all the, the pastors and the ministers and the religious leaders. He was in there answering questions and listening to them and, and fielding questions to them. And they were just socializing. Well, Mary, let's try it there. We've, we've looked everywhere else. Let's go back there. They go back to the temple. And lo and behold, there he is. He's socializing with the religious leaders. I mean, he is, he's kowtowing with the folks who are the heads up. They're in the temple. He could do that. Even as a 12-year-old, he, he could sit down with the upper class. He could sit down with the lower class. It didn't matter. Jesus was a social person. He drew people to himself. That's why he called the, uh, the 12 disciples. The, the four Gospels tell us that throughout the ministry, the three-year ministry of Jesus, there were literally hundreds of followers, disciples, who gathered around him, male and female, and they were with him a good bit of the time. We think about only 12, but there were literally hundreds of them who were gathered around them. And then on one occasion, early in that three-year stint, he looks at these uh, several hundred people, and from among them he chooses 12. You remember that? 12 guys. Now, listen to this. This is what Mark says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And from them, he appointed 12, designating them as apostles. And then get this, that they might be with him. Did you hear that? That they might be with him. He wanted somebody around him. He's a social person. He wants people around him. 
In John chapter 14, right before he's to go to the cross, uh, the disciples are a little discouraged over the way things have, have uh, transpired. And Jesus says to them, he says, look, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, keep believing in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house there are many mansions or dwelling places or rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place for you, I'm coming back again to take you with me so that where I am, you finish it. You shall be also. I want you with me. Jesus is a social kind of person. I already mentioned to you that among all the disciples that Jesus gathered around him, many of them were women. Listen, do you realize how unusual it would have been in first century Jewish culture for women to be drawn to a man, and I'm not talking about a man who is a prospect for a husband. I'm talking about a man who is a prospect for a friend, a confidant, someone you could trust. It was unusual. It just didn't happen. And yet, there was uh, Mary Magdalene. There, were, there was the other Mary. And that's the way she's designated by the Gospels. There were other women. In fact, these women were so... Uh, so respectful of Jesus and so impressed by Jesus that it was their financial means that kept his ministry going. Listen, Peter didn't have anything. He was a fisherman. They lived, they lived uh, fish catch to fish catch, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, Judas didn't have anything. That's one of the reasons why he just loved gathering the money and keeping it. The women... The gospel writers tell us were the ones that out of their means supported the ministry. Jesus was social. He drew people to himself. John chapter 4 says he drew the outcast among the people of his day. Do you remember John chapter 4? You remember that situation? Jesus and his disciples have been up in Galilee. They're headed back down toward Jerusalem. They decide to take uh, the unusual move of going straight through Samaria to go to Jerusalem, you remember that? And they stop off at a well. It's a very famous well, Jacob's well. And Jesus sends the disciples on down to the grocery store to get some meat, and he's perched there beside that well. It's noon. You remember the story? And this woman comes up. She's been married and divorced five times. She's living with a man out of wedlock, and she comes up in the, in the heat of the day presumably to avoid any contact with anybody else. It's not that she's not a social person. She obviously is a very social person, but she, she is not liked by the people of her area, her community. They gossip about her. They put her down. They condemn her. They criticize her. And so she's just a lot more comfortable coming to the well alone. I can see her. Can you see her coming to the well? She's coming to the well. She's going to draw water. She has no idea there's a man perched on the other side of the well. He's perched in such a way she can't see him. And she gets right up to the well. Do you see her? And she happens to look up. She's about to drop her bucket down the well. And she looks up and she sees the hair of a man. Just the top, the crown of his head. I can imagine the gospel writers are silent about this. And it's pure speculation on my part. But I can see her picking her bucket up and turning to slip away. It's not a good time for me to be here when Jesus speaks up and he says, how about drawing me some water? You see, Jesus initiated the conversation, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus initiates every conversation 
that you've ever had with him, you say, well, that's not true. I go to prayer. Oh, no, 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 no. And when you, when you and I pray, we've been initiated by him to pray. Any conversation that you and I have ever had has been initiated by him. He's a social person. Jesus is one of the only people you'll read about in the Gospels who would go and lay his hands on a leper. You know, if you've read... Uh, if you've taken the time to read the first five books of the Old Testament, you know what Leviticus and Deuteronomy say about lepers. If you're a leper, and it goes into some really gross details about how you know if somebody's a leper, what kind of, of pus they're coming out of, they have coming out of their sores and so forth, how, how, how big the cracks are and so forth, coming out of the sores, and, you, and, and they come up, and they, if, you, if you come up to someone and you're a leper, you have to raise your hand, leper, leper, so that people at a distance know you're coming. Lepers, by the law, were not to socialize. What about that? And here's Jesus. On a number of occasions in the Gospels, a leper will come up to Jesus, and what does he do? He lays his hand on him. He touches him. What about that? Do you realize what that would mean to a person with leprosy? They go through their lives ever since they've had the disease. They, they go through their lives not being touched by anybody not having anybody desiring to be around them, and yet Jesus comes up, and what does he do? I mean, they, they probably flinch when he, when he first starts to do it. He, he, he starts at them like this, and they're thinking, what are you doing, what are you doing? Don't you know I'm a leper, leper, leper? And he just touches them. He's a social person. Even a bit of a jokester, I think. <laughs> well, if your hand causes you to sin, just go cut it off. Better pluck that eye out. Guy comes up and he's blind. Do you remember that? He's blind. What does Jesus do? Well, be healed. No, that's not what he did. Jesus picks up some dirt. You don't believe it? Read it. Come here, boy. This mud's just about right. You ever had anybody you'd like to do that to? Go down the river and wash it out. Don't you think that'd be funny? You know one of the problems we have reading the scriptures? Somehow, and I don't know who convinced us of this, I don't, I don't know how it's happened, but we read the Gospels and we, we are unable to see the humor in some of the things of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that he wasn't serious. I believe Jesus smiled a little bit. You know, there, some of you may have seen the, uh, there were some internet drawings that went around over the past couple of years. Somebody has made some pencil drawings of Jesus just bowled over in laughter with children and with people. And Jesus was a social person. So much so that in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, there were people who accused him. They said, hey, I mean, you ought to be going up to the temple, and you ought to be, uh, you ought to be going around with the uh, religious leaders all the time. But instead, here's what it says, you're a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners.
Now, why would they say that? I think it's because he was social. Jesus grew in favor with people. He grew in favor with people. Luke chapter 18 has them sitting in the park. And there's some kids playing around there. And those kids, somehow they just see something in him and they're drawn to him. Their mothers don't stop them and they go up there wanting to play around with Jesus and the disciples are there. You need to keep these kids away from the master. (laughs) You need to get the kids away from Jesus. He's here on some serious business. What does Jesus say? Don't don't stop these children from coming to me. This is what heaven is like. And he socializes with them. You get my point, I think. Jesus is a social Jesus. Now, why am I bringing that up? Most everybody in here, I'm assuming, is a Christian. There may be some, probably are uh, at least maybe two or three people who have not received Jesus as Savior. And so you won't understand if if you're among those two or three or four, you won't understand what I'm about to say. But those of us who've been saved, we know that the decision to invite Jesus into your heart to be your Savior and your Lord and following Him is the single greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life. And statistics tell us that most people who invite Jesus as Savior and Lord do so because somebody they know and trust has told them about Jesus and helped them in the process of inviting Jesus into their heart. Very few people just invited Jesus out of the blue. I only know of one man. He was serving a prison sentence, 55 years in prison, for being the head of a mafia gang, a New York mafia gang, Uh, He was the regional uh, director of their mafia in the southeast, and they caught him for a number of things, including drug trafficking and conspiracy to murder. He was serving 55 years. He was in solitary confinement. The only thing in his room, in his small cubicle, was, was a cot, a hard cot, a table, and a Gideon Bible on it. And he picked up the Gideon Bible and tried to start reading it. And after reading it daily for three months, looked at the back, and saw the plan of salvation written in the back of that Gideon Bible, and he prayed a prayer. Took him, he, he t- I, I saw him this past summer. I know this man. He told me, he says, Jimmy, he said, I prayed for three or four days straight, only stopping to take little catnaps. I prayed for three or four days straight. It took me that long to confess all of the specific sins that I could think of and asking God to forgive me of them. Three or four straight days invited Jesus to be his savior. Nobody witnessed to him, but even then, somebody put a Gideon Bible on a table in that prison cell. But outside of that, most everybody I know who's made a profession of faith in Christ, they did so because somebody they trusted told them about Jesus. Same thing is true about people who join a church. By far, surveys tell us that people who decide to join a particular church, they do so because they know somebody there. Somebody they trust, somebody they want to be around, somebody they want to worship with. So what I'm saying is this. The two most important decisions that you and I will make in our lives, the decision to invite Christ to be our Savior, and then secondarily, the decision to to connect with a specific local church, both of those decisions are made because somebody was social.
So here's the invitation. I want you to commit to being a social person. Raise your hand if you, if you met and, and made a new friend over the past 12 months. Wow, that's a lot of folks. Raise your hand if you just lied. <laughs> Nobody, all of you, all of you are telling the truth. Listen, make friends, get to know them. Behave in such a way with them that they will respect you and trust you and want to be around you and invite them to Christ and invite them to Palmetto Baptist. Listen, we can put up billboards, we can stick yard signs out, we can send out uh, bulk mail uh, flyers, we, we can do all kinds of stunts. But the best, the best growth in the Christian world and the best growth in church occurs because of word of mouth. So what do you say? Let's be social. That's the invitation. I want you to be social. Make a commitment to be social. That means not obnoxious. That means not unkind. That means not know-it-all. That means treating others as you'd like to be treated. That means thinking about the type of person you really like and trust and be that to somebody else. How about it? Don't you think that'd be a good plan? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a social God. You're a God who reaches out. You're a dynamic God. You're, you're a God who loves spending time with people. Lord, help us to emulate that part of your personality that was reaching out to people, that drew people to yourself. Help us to live in a way that draws people to us. And Lord, I pray that our, our church will grow because of it. And I pray that, that the kingdom of God will grow because of it. Because, Lord, people are not going to come if they don't know somebody who knows you. So Lord, help us to make new friends. Help us to make new believers. And help us to draw people to our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.